Have you been enjoying this series on honor? Okay, I think this is probably the second last Sunday I'm going to be addressing the issue of honor. And today we're going to be looking at biblical honor in the marketplace. Amen? Biblical honor in the marketplace. I want to say something to you concerning honor. Do you know that honor functions like a currency? You know how faith is a currency? Honor is a currency. How many of you know what money is? Money is a medium of exchange of value, isn't it? It's an it's a exchange of current value of a particular thing. So when you pay and you give someone money, they value that money the same amount as the particular thing you're purchasing from them. So I want you to know this morning that honor is a currency. Honor is a currency. I think he's counting the money at the moment, but when I was speaking to Loazi about his trip uh, to Vietnam, he was quite excited because he said, hey, the rand is powerful in Vietnam. Why? Because as a currency, it's stronger than the Vietnam dong. It's called the dong, isn't it? Right? So he would say to me, sometimes things could seem expensive because they'll say, oh, this is 200,000. But then when you multiply by 0.00062, hey, it's actually fine. Are you hearing me this morning? Honor is a strong currency. And when we function in honor, there's something that we get from heaven. If you look at so many scriptures concerning honor in the Bible, they talk about how when you honor this person, when you honor God in this particular way, this is what you will get from heaven. Can I hear an amen? amen. So we need to function in honor. And I'm actually going to be sharing with you now a seventh dimension today, seventh dimension of honor. We are to honor the marginalized and weak. We're to honor the marginalized and weak. In Luke chapter 14, verse 12 to 14, it says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends. That's quite radical. Come on, that's quite radical. I mean, who do you invite for dinner? He says, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. How many of you have invited your rich neighbors? Many of us are too embarrassed to invite our rich neighbors because we'll be thinking, hey, what does my house look like? Will it be okay or not? So that's cool because Jesus says, don't invite them, right? If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. This is such a powerful revelation. Most of us do things so that we can be repaid. The moment you have a mindset and a mentality of you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Let me scratch your back so you can scratch mine. Jesus is basically saying you're disqualifying yourself from kingdom blessing. You see, I want to be in a place where I do things not for what I can get from the person, but I do things and they don't do something back to me so that my reward is in heaven. Amen. It's a dimension God is taking us to. Jesus is basically saying, you know what? You don't want to shoot yourself in the foot here. You don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. He's not saying don't invite family and friends. But he's saying when it comes to your heart motive, the moment you do something where it's love with a hook. You all know what love with a hook is, right? I'm doing this for you so that you can do this for me. Then you have a problem. And by the way, this applies even in husband and wife relationships. You see, a lot of these principles, they apply in the home. Men, how many times are you nice and sweet to your wife because of, of what you want her to be like toward you? Some of you are golfers, maybe because you want to play golf later on. Oh, let me be nice and kind to her. Let me buy her this and buy her that so that when I ask to go and play golf, she's fine with it. Love with a hook. And Jesus here says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. You won't be blessed when you're doing something for someone and then they do something back for you. So every time you complain and you say, oh, I did this and this for them and they didn't even do anything for me. You're tying heaven's hands. Because in heaven, it's like, okay, that's where you're looking for your reward. That's where you're looking for your reward. 
And so when we're talking about sowing on good, in good soil, so many times people will just talk about upward sowing. And I'll talk about that next Sunday where we talk about upward sowing, right? Where you sow to people who've got stuff in them that you want. Where you sow that way, there's a place for it. But you can see that Jesus here is saying you'll be blessed when you do things for the weak and marginalized. That's good seed to sow, to sow into. Amen? And you know that the people who catch this revelation, we don't have to remind them about sowing into a children's home. Because they have the revelation. Amen? We don't have to remind them about doing something on a monthly basis for the poor and the needy because they have this revelation. How many of you want to be blessed? Jesus shows us keys for the blessing. Many people say, oh no, when you give, you shouldn't give wanting to be blessed, even by God. That's a lie from the pit of hell. So why do you think Jesus then always taught us principles of if you do this, this is how you'll be rewarded. If you do that, then you're blessed. I don't know about you, but God is an investor. And God wants his children who are created in his image to have the same investment mindset. I don't know about you, but when I sow, I want to trust God that, you know what, you'll come through for me, Lord. I'm not just sowing like randomly and it's like, okay, I don't mind what happens in my life. Kesara, sarah, whatever will be, will be. So we see this powerful revelation here. It says, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Hmm. Matthew 25, verse 42 to 46. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Ladies and gentlemen, there are many people in prison today who aren't supposed to be in prison. There are many people in prison today who aren't supposed to be in prison. I was being, I was told, uh, being told a story um, the other day by older Sipo concerning someone he's related to in that particular situation. Where there was a guy who basically murdered his wife and then framed the grandson. A 12-year-old for doing it. Now that 12-year-old is in juvie. There are many people in prison today who aren't supposed to be in prison. And here Jesus is basically talking about prison ministry, isn't he? Okay? They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. You see, when you sow seed into good soil, it's not just to that flashy man of God who seems to be God's man of power for the hour, who seems to be the good soil. Because Jesus identifies with the weak and the marginalized and those in prison, and that's also good soil. Amen? I find it very interesting because Jesus goes on to say, then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. We can't say, ladies and gentlemen, that we are Christians, but we're not living this out. We're called to honor the weak and the marginalized. And part of our discipleship process is training up people to understand where their seed goes. Amen? Try this one day. Look at a beggar. Just look, the, look a beggar in the eyes and call him sir. Just restore that dignity. You see, very often we judge people. We judge who should be given a lot and who shouldn't be. I'm not saying be manipulated by people. I'm not saying just give and give and give cash to someone who's a drug addict who will probably just go and squander it. You know, some of the guys who ask for money on the streets and so on, you know they're going to use it sniffing glue. Are you hearing me this morning? So I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that in your monthly giving, have a revelation that some of it needs to be going to the poor and needy. Jesus identifies with them. Another group that is often marginalized is foreigners. Foreigners. 
But we need to see what the Bible says about how we should treat foreigners. How many of you have friends or neighbors that are foreigners? How many of you know people that are foreigners? How many of you are foreigners? <laughs> how many of you are aliens? Legal aliens? You classified as the legal alien. How many of you are illegal aliens? We won't go there. <laughs> the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33 to 34, it says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. You know all that xenophobic violence? Do not mistreat them. Verse 34, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. You, you know, if guys in government right now, if Aaron uh, Mozzaledi, right, the, the Minister of Home Affairs, the new Minister of Home Affairs, if he comes to me and says, what's your advice for how we should treat foreigners? I'll go to the word of God and just show him. Because that's how you become a blessed nation when you do things according to the word of God. And if people are listening to me right now by way of the internet, by way of uh, Facebook, please, 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 South Africa, treat foreigners like your native born and you will be blessed. The Holy Spirit ministered to me and spoke to me about this, that with the same measure you judge, you will also be judged. And he showed me that the reason why there's a lot of brain drain in this nation right now is partly because of how we've treated foreigners. If you say, no, 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 go away, go away, go away, we need our jobs, go away, go away, you're going to take our children's jobs, go away, we don't want you in this nation. The very children, the very children you have that you want to benefit from it will say, we don't want to live in this country anymore, and they will go overseas. One of the marks of a blessed nation is people want to stay in it. Foreigners want to come to your land, but your children also want to stay. Unfortunately, today, there are a lot of people leaving the country. That's not a blessing. That's not a sign of blessing. Let me tell you that. I speak to so many people, and it's skilled people, isn't it? And you hear them saying, you know what, Paul, it's fine, eh? Paul, it's fine for us. Eh? I've got a good job, but I'm just concerned about my kids, eh, Paul? I'm just concerned about my kids, eh? What's going to happen to them in this country, eh? And they're going. And many people have this mindset of like, no, it's fine, then it's fine. I speak to a lot of corporate people, and do you know how they're struggling to find appropriate skills in their organizations? If we want to be a blessed nation, we need to look at how we treat for foreigners. Do you know that in 2015, 25,000 citizens, South African citizens, moved abroad? And it's peaking. It's going up. Do you know that right now as we speak, there's an estimated 1 million, 1 million South African-born people that are living overseas. And most of them are highly skilled people. Because to get into some of those nations, you need to be very skilled. If we want God to bless this nation with highly skilled people, if we want our children to say we want to build in South Africa, we want this to be a peaceful nation, we need to look at how we treat foreigners. If you study the nations of the world right now, which country do you think has got the most number of immigrants living there? Take a guess. America, the United States of America, 46 million people in America are immigrants. People who immigrated to the United States. 46 million. Second highest is Russia. I think Russia is in about half of that or so. Right? And then there's Germany. Then there's the UK. And I find it interesting that a lot of these nations, there's Canada, that's a biggie. Right? Australia. A lot of these nations are blessed because of that. Just go and study Canadian health policy and see how they treat foreigners. See how easy it is to actually get health care in Canada, even as a foreign person. Have you seen how foreigners are treated in hospitals in Johannesburg? Are you listening to me this morning? People are dying because of how they're treated. Oh, you're a foreigner. Sorry, we can't help you. We want this nation blessed. We want this nation blessed. When we talk about the weak and the marginalized, we're talking about the poor. We're talking about the hungry. We're talking about the lame, the crippled. We're talking about foreigners also. Are you in agreement, church? 
I'm not saying you must give bursaries to all your foreigners. I'm not saying that. There are benefits that citizens should have. But what I'm saying is that when people come into this nation, see it as a blessing. It's a sign of blessing. Go and read in scripture when it talks about how the nations will come to you. America is a blessed nation. The fact that it's a blessed nation is seen in how many people want to go and live there. Number eight, we are to honor those under our spiritual leadership. Next week, I'll talk about the technology of double honor. But this week, I want to talk about those of us who are in spiritual leadership. We are to honor those who are under our care. Whether you're a small group leader, whether you're a worship um, director or leader, whether you're a leader in Go Kids, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 to 3 says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is among you, watching over them, not out of compulsion, but because it's God's will. Not out of greed, but out of eagerness. You see, some people would watch over the people out of greed because of what they would get from the people. Because the culture was people would bless you. They'll bless you financially. They'll bless you materially. When you watched over them, they honored their leaders that way. But it says here that don't do it out of greed, okay? But out of eagerness, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. What does it mean when it says not lording it over those who you are leading? In other words, I'm called to respect you. I don't know if you've seen some of these clips where you see what certain people so-called men of God. I don't know if they're real men of God or not. I don't want to judge right now, okay? Because we're not doing the other series. We're doing this one, right? And you see them standing on someone. They're praying. I don't know if you've seen those images. You'll see a lady over here, and they're doing deliverance, and you see this so-called man of God standing like this on the person. We have to maintain people's dignity. It's shocking. It's very shocking. Galatians 4, verse 19, one of the ways we honor the flock is by praying for them. My dear children, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. There's so many scriptures where you see that Paul the apostle was continuously praying for the flock, for the church, for the body of Christ. Amen. For us as pastors, sometimes we're in prayer and the Lord starts putting your faces before us, your faces before us, your faces before us. We honor people when we pray for them. Amen? Because we're basically saying, you know what, I'm going to take time out of my schedule to actually seek God's face to declare certain things over you. That's honoring, isn't it? When someone comes to you and says, I was praying for you, you feel honored, don't you? You feel, man, I know you're a busy person. You actually remembered me. Thank you for that. We're called to do that. And I want to encourage you, if you are leading in any area, it could be small group, right? Make sure you are praying regularly for the people under your care. Have you noticed that the more you pray for someone, the more the compassion flows? It's very difficult to hate people you pray for. Think about it, right? As you pray for them, compassion flows. Compassion flows, why? Because you begin to develop God's heart for those people. A very powerful question to ask each other as leaders is, what is God's heart concerning that person? That person who annoys you so much in your small group, what is God's heart towards that individual? Be willing to serve those under you. Nothing should be too menial for you to do. Nothing should be too menial for you to do. Very often I'm walking up to church and what we see as we're walking up the stairs, as we're walking towards this place, you see rubbish that hasn't yet been cleaned. No one should say, oh no, I'm too smart today to pick up anything. I'm too anointed to pick up things. You'll become more anointed as you pick up those things. Somehow we've got this thing, sometimes it's cultural, where there's certain things that become beneath us. Nothing should be too menial for us. 
And we see that Jesus was an example of this. In Matthew 20, verse 24 to 26, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them aside and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. In other words, the leadership style in the world is one way. But the one area, one of the areas where we must be different as believers is in how we lead. And he goes on to say, and their superiors exercise authority over them. It shall not be this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you. Is there anything wrong with wanting to become great? Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. In John 13, verse 14 to 17, he says, If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. I find this interesting that Jesus actually demonstrated this. He didn't just teach it. He didn't just say, guys, you must be servants. Because we would remix it, wouldn't we? We say, no, well, in the Greek, you see, this is what he actually means by servanthood. He physically washed their feet. And you know that in those days, they used to walk around in sandals and they used to walk for miles. So when someone would enter a house or before they entered, it was the role of slaves, servants, to basically wash the feet of people. Otherwise, someone would be coming into your house with lots of sand, desert sand. Jesus then did that, and he was modeling something for them. He was basically saying, the thing that seems most disgusting for you to do, be willing to do it. Amen? I think it's so powerful. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, neither one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. What is Jesus saying? If you know these things about servanthood, you know where the blessing is, not just in the knowing it. He didn't say you, you are blessed if you know this. You're blessed if you do it. You're blessed if you do it. The blessing is in the doing. Number nine, we are to honor our head of state and governmental authorities. One of the things we did at Ignite, we prayed for our head of state. We prayed for cabinet ministers. We prayed for people in authority in different areas. This is important, okay? We're to recognize and respect the office they hold. This is one of the ways we honor them. We're to recognize and respect the office they hold. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 6, he said to his men, the Lord, this is David, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. Because they're saying, kill him. Kill Saul. He's right here. He's sleeping. Just kill him. Was Saul a great king at that time? No, the guy was demonized. The guy was pursuing David, Right? And David had an opportunity to kill Saul. But what did he say? He says, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. He still called him the Lord's anointed. Or lay my hand on him, for he's anointed of the Lord. There was something in David that understood that the office someone holds must be respected despite the person. Are you following this morning? The fear of the Lord was so strong in David's life he was not going to short-circuit his destiny by killing Saul. And many times we justify what we say about national leaders. We justify the contempt we have for them, how we mock them. Because of their behavior, but we need to respect the office. And I find it interesting that David, this guy who became this great king, he respected the office of the president before him. Do you know why we always have these coups in countries? Have you noticed that whenever there's a coup, there's then another coup after that. You create, a, you create a cycle of coups. Why? Because the one person didn't respect the office. So then there's a coup. And something actually flows into the rest of the nation where we're like, well, you didn't respect the previous office, so why should we respect yours? And people no longer respect the office. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Show proper respect to everyone. So we must be honoring of everyone. 
Love the family of believers. I love that, eh? Respect everyone. Love the believers. Fear God. So we must honor God. Honor the emperor. Now, these emperors were evil. Peter ended up being executed, probably by the same emperor he's instructing guys to honor. And there are different theories, by the way, in terms of the epistle of Peter. Some people say maybe it was one of his disciples who actually wrote it, because when you look at Peter, the Greek is quite advanced there, and we know that Peter wasn't a learned man, etc. So there are different theories about it, but the point is that he says, honor the emperor. Are you following this morning? And I'm not going to say to you, stop doing this, stop doing that. This is how you must behave concerning your national president. All I'm saying is allow the word to speak to you. And you go home and you figure out, how should I change my behavior? How should I change my way of thinking concerning heads of states? Is that okay? You figure it out. Let the word of God be powerful in you. Let me just say something. There's a place for civil disobedience. There's a place in scripture where you can actually go and you can march saying we want this or this must fall or this must. There's a place for that. I don't know what you want to fall. I think right now it's data, right? Data must fall. Data must fall. Data must fall. Okay. Right? So there are different things that you can do. There's a place for civil disobedience. I'm not talking about that now. We'll talk about that another time. For now, we're just going to focus on, am I honoring governmental authorities? Am I honoring the president of a nation? Is that okay? That's what, that's what we're going to focus on for now. We are to renew our minds concerning what we say and think about them. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 20, it says, Do not revile the king, even in your thoughts. Or curse the rich in your bedroom. Remember I've said to you, get what you honor, you get what you appreciate. It's not just about what you say directly to them that they hear. It's also your thoughts concerning them. If you want to become wealthy, stop being critical towards wealthy people. Or curse the rich in your bedroom, because a bird in the sky may carry your words, and a bird on the wing may report what you say. Our words are heard in heaven. There you are cursing rich people. Next moment you are praying saying, Lord, please expand my finances, enlarge my territory. Heaven has already heard the curse that you made toward that rich person. Heaven can hear your envy towards those wealthy people. Are you hearing me this morning? With the same measure you judge, you'll be judged. Now watch. Watch this. Acts chapter 23 verse 5. Paul had been speaking in a challenging way concerning a high priest. And then people reminded him and said, this is a high priest you're talking to. He wasn't defensive. He was very quick to say. It says, Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. Remember, this was a bit of a theocracy, right? So they were ruled by a priestly system also. And it says, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. So Paul applied this principle. He knew it. Did he stop preaching the word of God? No, because God's word is a higher law. So the moment the ruler says, no more preaching the word of God, no more talking negative things about homosexuality, we'll still do that because it's the word of God. Are you hearing me this morning? But the manner in which he had addressed the high priest was inappropriate. He wasn't giving honor. And he corrected himself and he apologized. We honor them by not cursing them. Exodus 22 verse 28 says, Do not blaspheme God. That word blaspheme is an interesting word. Some, some translations might say do not curse God. Right? But do not blaspheme. It means to make light of something. To lightly esteem. Right? Do not blaspheme God. Almost the opposite of honor. Or curse, and that word curse is a different word. Right? It means to wish ill upon. Right? Or curse the ruler of your people. 
How many of you have cursed the ruler of your people? Doesn't matter what political party you are in. These are principles we have here. Is someone getting this? Another way we honor them, we are to submit to their authority. We are to submit to their authority. Romans 13 verse 1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So if I'm driving my car on the highway, and at a certain point I'm stopped by the cops, I can't say to them, but you guys know who I am. But, but no, in other places I'm really respected. I have to obey the land of the law. I cannot say, no, but with my car it's a bit different. If I just press just a little, little bit, then it goes fast. You have to understand, come, try and go. There are no excuses. They have the authority of government behind them to basically say, sir, can you stop? You were speeding. In Jude 1 verse 8, it says, In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these are people who have dreams and visions, right? These ungodly people, so you can have dreams but be ungodly. These ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. Angels are celestial beings. There's certain things we should not deal lightly with. Okay? And it's interesting that these guys reject authority. How many of you know that in the spirit realm, authority is very important? I think I showed you this last week. And how you deal with authority can actually end up determining your future. If you look at someone's life, you'll see that their life is a summation of choices that they made. And with a lot of people, you can see that their decline in their lives started the moment they rejected authority. There are a lot of people today who've got a root of rebellion. And you look and you say, what happened? What happened? The moment they rejected authority. And these people seemed spiritual. But it says on the basis of their dreams, these ungodly people rejected authority. And they were dishonoring when it came to celestial beings. They heaped abuse on celestial beings. Do you know that when we do spiritual warfare and we cast out demons, we need to know what we're doing. Otherwise, we become like the sons of Sceva. Do you remember the sons of Sceva, that priest? And they tried to cast out demons and say, you know what? We, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, we cast you out. And they said, Paul, we know. Jesus, we know. But you, who are you? And, the, and, and, and they were beaten up. Just because you have some special revelation doesn't mean you should reject the authorities that have been put in place. Next principle, we are to honor them by making them one of our priorities in prayer. We covered this scripture, my wife shared it at Ignite. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. It says, first of all then, I urge that petitions, those are requests, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be offered on behalf of all men so we should pray for all people for kings and all those in authority so that we may lead tranquil that means peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity one of the ways we show honor for authority is praying for authority if you're in school Pray for your headmaster. If you want peace in your school, pray for the headmaster. If you want peace at the hospital where you're a nurse, pray for whoever's leading. If you want peace in a church, pray for your pastors. If you want peace in a nation, pray for your presidents and your cabinet ministers and your heads of political parties. Amen? There's a positive correlation between the peace we experience in a nation and our prayers for authority. That's what the scripture here is showing us. Number 10. We are to honor our staff, our employees, and customers. 
So we to honor all the stakeholders we have in business. How many of you are in business or in the corporate world? Okay, quite a number of you. We're to honor our staff, our employees, and our customers. My question to you this morning, do you treat your staff in the same way that you want them to treat your customers? Those of you who head up businesses or in leadership in the corporate world, do you treat your staff in the same way that you want them to treat your customers? Have you noticed that when you go to a service provider, you can see the people who are treated well by their bosses, can't you? You see it. Because people pass on how they're treated. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? People pass on how they are treated. You just go to an organization and someone is grumpy and so on, you can see, okay, there's a problem with the leadership here. Then you see some people, they're always so cheerful and they've got so much energy. You can see there's somewhere in, in that organization where there's a great leader who's imparted that to that person. I want to show you how you honor your stakeholders. The first one, honor your employees by blessing them. What do I mean by blessing them? Yes, declaring a blessing, saying good things about them. Primarily in scripture, when you see the word bless, where it says bless those who curse you. When you see the word bless, it's got something to do with what you say. And I find it interesting because if you look at Ruth chapter 2 verse 4, it says, now behold, Boaz, you remember Boaz? Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord be with you. Those are the relationships we want in the workplace. I was dealing with a particular organization recently and I found myself saying to them, you know what the problem I have with you guys? You know the problem you guys have? There's no unity. The staff keep complaining and talking behind the leaders' backs. And the, and the leaders keep complaining about the staff. Where there's unity, God commands a blessing, the Bible says. So I said to them, we need to sort this out. We need to have a team session where we sort this out. And you see that with Boaz and his reapers, they were blessing each other. That's one of the ways you honor the people working for you. You declare blessing over them. When was the last time you prayed for your domestic helper? When was the last time you declared blessing over them? When was the last time when they're about to go away, maybe it's for a weekend or so, you just declared that they're going to have an awesome weekend? When was the last time they did that in return? You know what the sad thing is? There are a lot of people who are leaders in the corporate world right now who are being prayed out by their staff. I know this. I've spoken to people. I've, I've spoken to some of you in this church. I remember one of the guys in one of our churches who said to me recently, yeah, then there was that manager and, you know, pastor, he was giving us problems and so on. So we prayed him out and then you don't want people to be praying you out. And one of the things is if you're oppressive in your leadership style, God hears their prayers. Go and look in scripture where it talks about oppressive leaders and being careful about being oppressive because your staff will cry out to God. And if there's injustice, says, God might just hear them. You want to be blessed by your staff. You don't want to be cursed by them. Amen? Some of you are giggling because maybe you've been doing that also to your leaders. Can I, can I, can I share with you a safe way to pray this prayer? It's where you say, Lord, may you please just change his heart. Change his heart, Lord. But Lord, if his heart doesn't change, then can you move him on? <laughs> Plan B. <laughs> Some of you are praying witchcraft prayers. Seriously. It's called charismatic witchcraft. Be careful of that. I've had enough of him, Lord. But I bind him. Just be careful of that. Okay? Next, honor your stakeholders by refraining from oppressive practices. You honor your stakeholders by refraining from oppressive practices. Proverbs 28 verse 16 says, A leader who's a great oppressor lacks understanding. May God give us understanding of spiritual dynamics. A leader who's a great oppressor lacks understanding. But he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. Can you see that in scripture? There are many things stated that help us to prolong our days. 
We spoke about honoring your parents last week, right? And what does that do? It helps you to prolong your days. Another way is hating unjust gain. It prolongs your days, okay? Can I give you some examples of oppressive practices? just want to give you two or three. Victimization. Victimization. It means punishing or threatening to punish someone, right? Do you know that it's against the law to punish or threaten someone just because they're standing up for their rights? It's happening in the workplace today. Someone can actually take maternity leave, for example, but very subtly, they're victimized for it. And you see them saying, yeah, yeah, no, I'm going to go to work now. Yeah, I just need to go because I don't want to lose my job. But it's their legal right, according to the law of the land, to have their maternity days. You see people so afraid to ask their boss for, to take leave days. How many of you are feeling me right now? You, you feel you'll be victimized. I talk to people where they say, Paul, I feel guilty when it's 4.30 and it's time for me to go home. I feel guilty because everyone else is still working. Paul, I can't leave before my boss has, leave, has left. So you, when we do evening meetings in church, you end up late and you just say to us, yeah, no, how's it work? No, how's it work? But the deeper issue is you see your boss as your source and you feel too intimidated by them partly because they victimize you, to actually stand up for your rights. If you're a leader who does that very subtly to your people, the Bible says it's unwise to be oppressive. Okay? That's an example of oppressive measures in the workplace. Another one is sexual harassment. Sexual harassment. Do you know that if you're in a workplace and men look you up and down, you know, they give you the once over, twice over. They're undressing you with their eyes. That's a form of sexual harassment. If you look at the stages of sexual harassment, if you as a, as a woman then feel defiled by that, or you're walking past their screensavers and they've always got dodgy pornographic stuff on their screensavers, things that objectify a woman, that's a form of sexual harassment. It's very unprofessional, first of all. You should be able to say, we shouldn't have this. But if you start feeling defiled in the workplace, ladies... And if you start feeling a bit like, oh, is there something wrong with me? Am I not dressed appropriately? No, you're dressed okay, but they're the ones with the issues. That's a form of oppression in the workplace, okay? The third one I want to share with you is workplace bullying. Workplace bullying. People who are chronic bullies at school, they become chronic bullies at work. And the thing about being a bully, someone who's a bully, it's very dishonoring, first of all, but someone who's a bully is essentially an insecure person who has to boost their self-esteem by controlling someone else. So bullying is to do with control. And what you do with bullies is you stand up to the bully. And typically what happens is when you stand up to a bully, they look for someone else, in other words, another target, right? And then they target that person. So very often we criticize bullies, we study the bully, but we forget that they're also targets. And we should be asking ourselves, why am I a target? Oppression in the workplace is a form of dishonor. And it's an unwise person who's oppressive. Can I quickly share with you different types of bullying? Okay? So you have the tank. The tank is that person who bulldozes over you. They don't let you finish your sentences. They just bulldoze over you. They think they know where your mind is. That's a tank. We should learn to basically say to people, sorry, I haven't quite finished yet. Let me just finish. Okay? Another form of bullying is the sniper. You know that individual who will say something accurate about you, but they will say it in front of everyone to embarrass you. They're just trying to control your response. What's important to do with snipers is to actually agree with them to not react, to actually say, no, you're very right in what you're saying and our team is actually working on that. Because you haven't given them what they want. Are you following? Another form of bullying is what we call the two-headed snake. This is that person who's very lovey-dovey, gives you hugs, but in the next few minutes, they're spreading rumors about you. It's a form of bullying because you don't know where you stand with them. Sometimes they could actually be diagnosed with bi as bipolar. I remember one particular lady in one of the organizations I was dealing with. She was about to retire and people were actually saying we're counting down because it was affecting them. 
Her boss and the boss's boss were actually saying, we're counting down, Paul. There was a guy who worked in a team who literally became suicidal working under him. I had to help him. The point I'm trying to make is with the two-headed snake, you end up with problems of emotional abuse. And people would say, we wish she was horrible all the time. But the problem with her is sometimes she's super nice. Other times she's really nasty. Another type of bully is what we call the gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper doesn't have to be a senior person in an organization. Gatekeeper can literally be a PA, a secretary. And you'll find they'll give everyone else the correct information. But with you, they won't tell you about the meeting coming up with their boss. Their gatekeeper. So we have different types of bullying in the workplace today. But those are all forms of oppression. And it's crucial that we learn to honor people by not being oppressive. There's also what we call the constant critic. It's a type of bullying. You know that person where they say to you, please, I think your watch needs to be blue, not black. Then you get a blue watch. Why did you get a blue one? It's supposed to be purple. You can never do anything right with them. They're always criticizing you. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to control your self-esteem by doing so. When people praise you, they say, ah, don't worry, they'll change their story tomorrow. Don't, 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 don't even listen to their praises. Why can't I just enjoy having acknowledgement from people just for a moment? It's the constant critic. Watch out for that. When it comes to unjust gain, is there an area in your life where you gained something, but as you look back, it was unjust? What can you do about it going forward? Next one, honor your employees through justice and equity, knowing you are accountable to God. In Colossians 4 verse 1, it says, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Ultimately, everyone has a boss. You might be running your own business, but you're ultimately accountable to God. And if you're being oppressive to people, you won't get away with it because you're accountable to God. Honor your employees by not using threats. In Ephesians 6 verse 9, it says, And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. When I have a revelation that I'm accountable to God, it changes how I treat people that report to me. E. Honor your workers by not withholding wages. Honor your workers by not withholding their wages. In James 5 verse 1 to 6, it says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Hey, James was hardcore, wasn't he? Your gold and your silver have, rush, has, have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, now watch this. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which have been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You know, you, know, you know the word Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord over the host of angels. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Very often in business, we can become abusive because we know it's in our power. The person needs the money. So we don't pay them a fair wage because we know they'll accept anything we offer them. This happens a lot on the African continent. And when we look, we look historically and we say, ah, yeah, they used to abuse our forefathers. They did this. They did that. But we're doing it today. When it comes to paying your domestic workers, don't just look at what the minimum wage is. Because that's minimum. Ask yourself, how much do I value them? How much should I be paying them? And go with that. Abroad, they can't afford 
domestic help. I don't want to go into that. F, honor your workers by paying wages on time. Leviticus 19 verse 13. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Why do we do that? Because for you, you might be relaxed about it. I'll pay them tomorrow. It's funny. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll pay. Yeah, can I just pay you on Monday? But that person who doesn't earn much, they're waiting. They're like, hey, you know what? Yeah. And then they're already planning. Every cent, they're planning. It might not be a lot of money for you, but for them, it's a lot of money. Deuteronomy 24, verse 14. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens, foreigners, who is in your land, in your towns. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart on it, so that he may not cry against you, to the Lord, and it becomes sin against you. There's a whole revelation there. Can you see that? It's one thing if you pay someone late and they're fine with it. It's another thing when you're paying someone late and they've got an issue with it. And they cry out, they say, Lord, look, this is happening to me. Lord, this is happening. It becomes sin to you. And there are consequences of that, for that. There's a foothold that the enemy ends up having in your life when something becomes sin for you. Is everyone following? Okay. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. When you deal with service providers, all these stakeholders that we're talking about, appreciate them. One of the things I like doing, if I go to a shop and I'm at the till and it's a public holiday, I'll be feeling for those people at the till because they're there working throughout the day. Often they need the extra money. But I like to actually say to them verbally, thank you so much for working on a public holiday. Sometimes I say it and I don't feel like talking. Believe it or not, there are many times I don't feel like talking. Right? And I say, thank you so much for working on a public holiday. And then they start pouring out. Yeah, because, yeah, oh, no, we don't get extra. Oh, we don't. Okay? Number 11. We are to honor our leaders at work. A, we honor our leaders at work by being fully engaged and diligent. Fully engaged and diligent. How many of you are typically fully engaged and diligent at work? I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. Okay. Colossians chapter 3 verse 22 to 25 says, Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service. When we talk about external service, we're talking about? We're talking about when you only do things because people are watching. You know, with a lot of people, when the cat's away, the mice side play, right? As those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, in other words, from your heart, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Very powerful statement. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. It's talking about serving masters on earth. And then it says, it's the Lord Christ whom you serve. In other words, when you're there in the marketplace, the command we have in scripture is, do it as unto the Lord. And do it from your heart. You see, you can hire people and you have some people who will serve with their heads, with their hands, and with their feet. But then you have other people who then also add heart and soul. And it's wonderful working with those people, even in church, by the way. Where they do what they're doing, heart and soul. Then it goes on to say, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Do you know what I want in my life? Do you know what I want for your life? That when you are serving in the marketplace, even if you don't believe you're being paid well, 
Your mindset is, I'm doing it ultimately for the Lord. So God is my boss and he will cover the difference. The moment you serve as unto the Lord, he covers the difference. You know that. But if your mindset is, why should I be putting much effort into this? They're not paying me enough. You've tied heaven's hands. When we talk about serving heart and soul, do you know what we're talking about? We're talking about engagement. Who's in HR here? Who's in human resources here? Anyone, anyone, anyone? All right? We're talking about engagement. Very often, human resource people, you hear them talking about staff engagement. How engaged is a staff? You hear that, right? And some of you have staff engagement surveys to see. They've found that there's a positive correlation between engagement of staff and performance. But what a lot of people aren't familiar with is the three pillars of engagement. I want to share them with you quickly. Pillar number one is dedication. When someone is fully engaged, they're dedicated. Ask people on your team, how dedicated are you? Are you here heart and soul? The second pillar of engagement is vigor. How much energy do you bring to work? And very often it's linked to the food we eat, isn't it? If you're continuously eating high glycemic foods and so on, getting a sugar low, etc., you'll just find yourself like a zombie at work, not so. How much vigor, how much energy do you bring to the workplace? And the third pillar is absorption. Absorption. It's where you get immersed in what you're doing. You perform better when you're fully immersed in it. When people literally have to drag you from your work, not so. They have to drag you from your work and say, it's lunchtime now. You perform better. But if you're continuously distracted by many things, you won't perform. So dedication, vigor, and absorption. The Bible here says, do it as unto the Lord. Extremely powerful. B, we should honor our leaders at work by operating from a place of contentment. In Luke chapter 3, verse 14, they are asking John, John the Baptist, and they're saying, so what should we do? The tax collectors are saying, so what should we do? And he gives them some responses. The soldiers then say to him, so what should we do? And this is his response. He says, don't take money from anyone by force. In other words, don't be oppressive. Don't accuse anyone falsely. Then he says something interesting. He says, and be content with your wages. Be content with your wages. I'm not saying you must never ask for a salary increase. What I'm saying is serve at work as unto the Lord despite what you're being paid. And that's a key to your breakthrough. And it's a way of honoring your boss. Can I hear an amen? See. We should honor our leaders at work by demonstrating respect at all times. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it says, Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. The word there isn't really double honor. I'll talk about double honor next week. Okay, It's basically a word which means all types of honor Okay, or complete honor. So that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. In other words, we must be good examples, right? And let those who have believers as their master. How many of you, your boss at work is a Christian? Just raise your hand. You've got Christian boss, right? Look what it says here. It says, and let those who have believers as their masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren. But let them serve them all the more. That word more, I looked it up in the Greek. It means more. In other words, we must serve the believing bosses more and honor them more than we do the unsaved ones. That's what it says. But with most people, it's like, ah, she's my Christian sister. We go to prayer meetings together. I know her family. We're in the same small group. And then we become relaxed. Okay? So more here means more. Then it says, because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Isn't that precious? They're believers and they're beloved. D, we should honor our leaders at work by not stealing from our workplace. Not stealing from our workplace, not stealing from our suppliers, not stealing from our customers. Say to the person next to you, don't steal. Okay. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, it says, Thou shalt not steal, period. 
It doesn't say, ah, but it's okay in this situation. Yeah, actually, because you're not being paid enough, yeah, it's okay. I remember someone who worked for a government department, not in this country, in another country. And I remember the person saying, yeah, but because you know, you know what it's like for us, Paul. We're not paid that much, but at least, you know, we can phone overseas. We can phone to the UK. Yeah, because... So in their minds, they'd made up ways of making up for their low salary. It's the same thing. That's why some people are policemen in this country. You say to them, but you've got this business on the side and this one. Why are you still a policeman? And you know why they're still policemen. Yeah, we're not paid that much, Paul, but you know what? At least, you know, uh, there are other ways we can make money. That's stealing. Okay? Look what it says. <clears throat> In Ephesians 4, verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. And what's the alternative? But must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do you know why people steal? I was speaking to a gangster a couple of years ago, and he, showed, he, he shared with me. He was telling me about some of the heists that they do and so on. He was a former gangster, former gangster who then gave his life to the Lord. And he says, you know how we got into this gangsterism? We would see our uncles driving fancy Mercedes Benzes and so on. We saw them and we wanted what they had. Very often people steal because of envy. Then he says, but Paul, you know what? We wanted it now. I said, oh, impatience. Yes. Then he says, Paul, who wants to go to work at 8 a.m. every week? Oh, so laziness. Yes, laziness also. So I, I literally did a study of it, why people steal. As I looked at this guy as an example of that, and he was giving me the various reasons, wrong role modeling, laziness, impatience, greed. And that's why the scripture here says, stop stealing and work for yourself and do something useful. Why? Proverbs 20. Let's start with Proverbs 10. Proverbs 10 verse 2. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value. We know that, right? A lot of people who win, let me not go there. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. Guys, don't take shortcuts. It won't last. Proverbs 20 verse 17. Food gained by fraud tastes sweet, but one ends up with a mouth full of gravel. I love that imagery. How many of you have ever fallen? I remember when I was young, riding a bike, and then realized that it didn't have brakes. And I went, and I went over a road, Praise God, there were no cars. I went down, down, down this hill, and I crashed into a jura wall. You know jura walls, right? Crashed into a jura wall, went down. And I was a bit dazed afterwards. And I said to my brother and the guys around me, I think I swallowed a stone. All right? But I know what it's like to taste gravel, to eat gravel. It's not nice, is it? How many of you eat flying ants? Pastor Taffy, all the Zimbos and Nikki. <laughs> Sometimes when people get those flying ends in the whole process of it and so on, there's some sand and lots of sand in the process, right? Or red ants. Majuru. Yes. Okay. Gravel doesn't taste nice. That's the point I'm making. Psalm 62, verse 10, do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. This is what we need to be saying to people who steal. And lots of people steal, by the way. There are a lot of thieves out there, and they've justified it. Back in the Eastern Cape, I remember guys saying, yeah, no, no, we don't see it as stealing, Paul. We're just taking back what's ours. And they called it affirmative shopping. <laughs> no, seriously, there's some people who think it's okay to steal if you're stealing from a white person. Seriously. Then finally, E, we show honor when we're submissive to our supervisors in the workplace. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, rebellion is the sin of witchcraft and insubordination is an iniquity and idolatry. So when your boss says, go left and you go right, that's insubordination. And there's some people even in church that have a contrary spirit. When we say, this is where we're moving as a church, and then they go in the opposite direction because somehow they think they know better. The Bible here says that 
Insubordination is the same as idolatry because you've idolized your own ideas. Amen? It's rooted in pride. Let's pray. Maybe there's something you want to acknowledge this morning in response to this message. Just stand up where you are and I want to pray for us as a congregation. Honor in the marketplace. If you look at how you've worked in the workplace, you say to me, Paul, you know what? I haven't been fully engaged. I haven't served Christ. I've been doing it as a man pleaser. When the boss is around, I'm energized. When they're not there, there's no energy. If the Holy Spirit has ministered to you this morning, in any of these areas, just stand where you are. I want to pray for us. Father, you see our response to you. And we say we surrender. And right now, Lord God, we ask for your forgiveness and your cleansing where there's been dishonor. We ask for your forgiveness, Father God, where we've been oppressive. We ask for your forgiveness, Father God, where we've sinned against you by not showing honor to the people around us, to our customers, our service providers, our stakeholders. We ask for your forgiveness and for your cleansing. Purify our hearts this morning, Lord, as a people. We choose to be people of honor. Lord, we yield to you right now and we choose to look to you as our source. We thank you, God, that even when we're not paid enough, we can look to you, God, and we see that you cover the difference. We commit ourselves to you and we commit ourselves, Lord, to being people of honor. And the people of God said, Amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.